And now, O Lord, may the words of our mouths and the meditations of all of our hearts be found acceptable in your sight. For you are our rock, our strength, and our redeemer. If through the words of this human being we don't hear your voice, O God, we ask that you would come now and speak to each of us in the quietness of our hearts. Amen. Let us begin our reflection time this morning with a little honesty and a confession on my part. Romans, the book of Romans, is usually not my first choice for preaching. When it comes up in the lectionary, and it occasionally does, I often opt for something else. And it's not because I don't like Romans, quite the opposite. I really like Romans, and it's not because it's important. It is extremely important. In fact, there's a reason that the church fathers put Romans as the first letter in the New Testament. After the Gospels and after the Acts of the Apostles, our first letter is the letter to, is the, letter to the Romans. And that's like saying this is chapter 1 of a new book. This is the beginning of something new. And that letter sets the tone and the direction for the rest of the story. And the rest of that story is who we are as the church, what we are supposed to be as the church of Jesus Christ. And so it is with Romans. Not only that, but this is likely one of the last letters that Paul ever wrote. It is, he wrote it from a place of maturity. He wrote it from a place of a lot of lived experience. And he's summarizing here what is most important for the church to be born, but he's also he also doesn't want to leave out any important details. And as a result of that, Romans is one of the most theologically dense books in the Bible, but it is so rich and it is so full of everything we need to know about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. It's also the longest of the epistles. Now, the reason I don't like to preach from Romans is that to fully appreciate a sermon from it, we need a good basic teaching of it. And good teaching usually takes more than 15 to 20 minutes during the Sunday worship hour. Good teaching takes time, takes depth, takes digging. And and our attention span doesn't always allow for that. But all of this to say, I say all of this because it was with a lot of hesitancy that I decided to, that I followed the Spirit's nudging to preach this text today because there are some big words that we have to cover in this passage today. Big letters that Paul spends the entire letter defining and connecting to the Old Testament and to who Jesus is. You may be looking at the scripture now and saying, What big words are you talking about? Well, they may be short in terms of the number of letters in them, but they are big in meaning. Words like peace, words like grace, and hope, and endurance, and faith, and love. Vital to the life of one who chooses to follow Jesus. But what I realized the more I meditated on this passage is that the Holy Spirit is not only teaching us in Romans about who Jesus is, about who God is, about who the Holy Spirit is, but he is also teaching us about how we talk with the Trinity, how we talk with God, how we can pray, and the importance of changing one little word when we talk about prayer. Now, when we think about praying, we almost always are talking about praying for someone 
right? We're thinking about praying about a situation. It's like we are in, and what happens so often when we do pray, friends, and this is not a bad thing, but sometimes we want to make sure this is not the only way we pray. Because a lot of times we come to God and we've got this list of needs and we come to him and it's like coming to the checkout line at a grocery store and you've got these items and you put them on the little moving counter and they go to the, the, the checker and the checker runs, it, runs the scanner and puts it in a bag and gives it to you. And a lot of times we think of prayer as that assembly line where we bring our need, we put it down, it goes to God and he takes care of it from there. And that is good. Jesus teaches us to ask what we need, to trust and believe in his name. That is important. And we are called to pray for one another's needs. We are called to to adhere to what that old hymn, What a Friend in Jesus, tells us, where we take everything to the Lord in prayer. But to only pray when we need something, when we're just going through the grocery line and we're just putting those items, those needs, those concerns on the counter, is that's almost like if we only pray that way, that's just like speaking in basic sentences. When children are learning to read, those of you who have had children that you've been through that before, you know that the sentences or the sentence structure is very straightforward. The cat chases the dog or the dog chases the cat or the top spins. I mean, it's these simple, um, even in the book like Good Night Moon, you've got these really simple statements, straightforward sentences. But as we grow and as we learn language and as we learn how to communicate, we ask questions, we have exclamation points. And it's the same way in our prayer lives where God is inviting us to look beyond prayer being where we are the customer, God is the clerk, and realizing that prayer is not a transaction, it's a relationship. It is something that we build on. It's something we grow in. And relationships are complex. And our relationship with God, when we pray with him, our prayer life is supposed to grow as well. And so what I want to point out today is that prayer is not only for or about something. Today, we are focusing on the need to pay attention to where our prayers come from. Let me issue an apology to all of the English teachers in the room. And as an English major myself, it pains my heart to end that sentence with a preposition. Because if you ever paid attention in English class or you, or you studied English, you know one of the rules is don't end the sentence. It's not proper to end the sentence with a preposition. Well, sometimes you just have to. And sometimes that is the only way to get the point across. And so I apologize for that, but I promise to flesh it out. What I'm saying here is to pay attention to where we are coming from when we pray, where we are when we pray, not a physical geographical location, but where our hearts are coming from. For instance, when you bring a prayer before the Lord, is it coming from a place of fear? Is it coming from a place of desperation? Is it coming from a place of gratitude? You're offering a prayer of thanksgiving to God. Or is it coming from a place, um, is, it, is it coming from a place where you are confused and you don't know what to do? I would encourage you, when anytime you stop to pray for something, first ask yourself, why am I praying about this? Where, what, why am I here before God? And you'll begin to see the answer to that question of where you are praying from. Paul expounds today upon where we as followers of Jesus should be when we come before him in prayer and where we should be coming from in our prayers. Look with me again at verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained access to this grace in which we stand. And we boast in our hope 
of sharing the glory of God. Faith, peace, hope, where we stand in God. And I want to ask you something, and you don't need to answer this out loud. You can answer it in your heart, because I'm going to give you the answer in just a moment anyway. Since the war broke out in Ukraine back in February, have you prayed and asked God for peace? In the wake of the mass shootings and the gun violence in the nation over the past month, have you prayed for hope at any time? Well, the answer is likely for you, yes, and I know for me it's yes, and for us as a church it's yes. Just about 15 minutes ago, that was what we prayed for in the prayers of the people. And it's perfectly good and right to ask God for those things. But Paul is reminding us in these verses that if we truly believe in Jesus, if we spend time with him and listen for the voice of the Holy Spirit, we already dwell in a place of grace and of peace and of hope no matter what life circumstances are, or, or, no matter what our circumstances are. And our focus does not need to be so much on praying for peace or for hope, but instead praying from a place of knowing that we already have peace, we already have hope, and we can claim that. This series we're in for June and July on prayer is meant not only to be a reflection on scripture, but my hope is that it will help us to deepen our prayer lives as well and have practical application. And here is one, we have done this before, where we take verses of scripture and we form prayers from them. And what I want to invite you to do today is to hear the beginning of a prayer that we can form from these first two verses of Scripture and begin thinking about how you start your prayers. How do you start praying with God? Do you start in that checkout line and say, here you go, God, here's this, here's that? Or do you stop and ask, okay, why am I here? Where am I coming from? This scripture helps us do that so, so that we don't jump right into that checkout line. But instead, what if we change that beginning? I invite you to look at verses 1 and 2 of today's passage. And I'm going to give you a sample prayer. Maybe I'll remember to post it on social media or in the newsletter this week. But here is an example of how we can start our prayers. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have justified us by faith. Through your blood, we already have the peace we need. Because of you, we have obtained access to your grace. We are only able to stand and face evil in this world because we are standing in your grace and in the power of your Holy Spirit. That's just an example, friends, of how you can take what God has already given to us, where we come from as disciples of Jesus, and claim it in your prayers. Claim that peace for the nation of Ukraine. Claim that hope for those who are in the midst of despair, not just asking God for it, but saying, God, this has already come from you, and thank you for giving it to those who need it this day. And just as a side note, we see the word grace come up here, and the word grace is one of those that we hear over and over again. We heard it sung beautifully that we are sinners saved by grace today, but friends, grace is not only what saves us, us, it is also what sustains us in our walk with Jesus. John Wesley originally defined grace, and I love this definition because it covers so much ground. John Wesley defined grace as the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. The work of the Holy Spirit. Grace, when we ask God or when we thank God for the grace he has already given us, what we're saying is, God, I'm open to the work of your Holy Spirit in my life. That grace and that peace and that faith are not passive ways of thinking. They are our fuel. They're our foundation. They're our well that won't 
run dry. But do you see the change that happens when we start our prayers, not with what we need, but what, who Jesus is, what he has done, and where we already stand with him. We begin our prayers that way in a place of confidence, and we begin our prayers in a place of deep, profound gratitude. And friends, there is one thing you can never go wrong with in this world, and that is an attitude of gratitude. Finding, the, finding what you can rejoice in in all of life's circumstances. And one of the best practices we can incorporate into our prayer lives is to start with where we stand in Jesus, to declare whose we are, because that is what helps us get through what follows in verses 3 through 5, because Paul gets very real in the next verse. Look with me again at verses 3 and the beginning of verse 4. Not only that, we boast in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character. Jesus said we would face tribulations, we would face sufferings in this world. This is no surprise. And Paul is telling us here, telling us about this here because of where we stand, where our prayers come from, in hope and in peace of who Jesus is. We can be confident in the midst of suffering. And sometimes even if we don't feel confident, when we are trusting God, when we're, when we're claiming these promises, others will still see that confidence, even if we don't see it sometimes. One of my favorite, most favorite examples of this was a story my mom told me back when, that happened back when I was in either high school or college. In the town that, we, uh, that I grew up in, there was a family that many people in the town knew, and they, uh, the family lost their son very suddenly. He was in his 20s, died very suddenly. I don't even remember what it was that happened, um, but this was a very faith-filled family. They were involved in their local church. They were followers of Jesus and everybody knew it. And um, the, the, my mom had a friend who was Jewish. And this Jewish friend went to the visitation for this young man's funeral and saw the family and everything. And when she saw my mom later, she said, I need to ask you about something. She said, I went to this visitation, she said, and this has never happened before. She said, they weren't sad like I was expecting them to be. My mom said, well, what, what do you mean? She said, well, they were crying and they were emotional. And she said, it was obvious that they were grieving. She said, but it was different. She said there was a joy. There was a peace. And she said, I, I don't even know how to describe this. I remember mom, my mom telling me the story. And this lady was just at a loss for words to describe what she was witnessing. And my mom said just she immediately responded to her and said, I'll tell you what you witnessed. That was Jesus. That was the presence of Jesus and the confidence in Jesus and his eternal life that was giving them their hope and their confidence and their security in the midst of all of that. Now, very likely, friends, if we had asked that family, did you feel confident in that moment? My guess is many of them would say that they were feeling very weak, that they were grieving, that they were, and of course, they were heart sick. But because of who they believed in and their faith was so strong, their faith was reflected to people who didn't even know Jesus as Savior and who yet saw there's something different about what these people believe. Now, like with that family, do we still grieve? Of course we do. Do we still experience all of the feelings that come with suffering? Yes, we're human beings and we must be patient with each other with that. Jesus weeps with us, walks with us. The Holy Spirit aligns us with people who can help us be confident in the midst of suffering with hope and, and, and in the midst of suffering with hope and with peace and to help us keep moving forward. And then one day as we keep moving forward, as we continue to live from that peace and pray from that place of peace 
and confidence in who Jesus is, one day we'll be able to look back. So often when we're going through trials and tribulations, we can't see what Jesus is doing. We can't see how God is working to build up that endurance, to build up that faith in us. But years later, months later, we can look back and say, oh my goodness, how did I get through that? It only could have been what God was doing. Look again at the end of verse four and verse five, because you see, as we go through these times, character produces hope. Hope does not disappoint us because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. There's that work of the Holy Spirit again, giving us grace for each moment and strength for each new day. Friends, we have available to us everything that we need to pray from a place of confidence, even if we're not feeling confident when we declare who Jesus is, that builds up our confidence. And this is so key, and this is what I want to close on today, is that we live in a time, especially, where we have to learn to be patient with ourselves and to be patient with one another as we walk through life's sufferings and life's trials because some of us are feeling more confident and coming from that grace that place of grace and peace more so than somebody else and to be patient with each other means to endure sufferings with each other. Matthew Sleeth is a physician and a wonderful Christian and writer who wrote a book a few years ago called Hope Always that I'm currently reading and in that book he talks about the root of the word patient. And when I use the word patient, I'm talking about both the patient who's in the hospital under the care of a physician and patience, that fruit of the spirit that all of you are cringing at, right? not all of you, but many of us are cringing at right now because we struggle with that fruit called patience. They have the same root word. It is spelled P-A-T-I and it means to suffer. Just like a patient in the hospital is the, the, the suffering there. We build patience through suffering. And Matthew Sleeth wrote this, and I want to close on this important reminder today. He said, this word of suffering reminds caregivers of the suffering that their patients are enduring. And it reminds us as a society used to instant gratification that the healing process takes time. Healing processes take time. Friends, we serve a great physician who is so patient with us and he has identified with our sufferings and what he's inviting us to do is to be patient with one another because we are all in need of his great physician's work and reminding us that we are all helping one another to heal. One of the best ways we can help each other to heal is, to play, is not just to pray for each other, but to pray from a heavenly perspective that we have everything we need and we also need each other to see this work of the Holy Spirit, this work of grace lived out. So let us hold each other, let us support each other, and let us be healed together as the people of God who lives and reigns with the Son and the Holy Spirit, the blessed three in one, now and forever. Amen.